Hi, I'm Ethan. I love muzzleloading. Today on this special edition of the I Love Muzzleloading podcast, we have the York Report, the Alvin York Memorial Chunk Gun Match just happened as of recording this past weekend. And I have my friend Colton Fleetwood, who was in attendance and competing here to tell us a little bit about the match, how it went and uh, the history of chunk shooting. This is kind of a niche within a niche of the muzzleloading world, but uh, I think it's a really interesting and exciting kind of match, and it's neat to see it carried on through the enthusiasts with the Alvin York Memorial Match. Hey, Ethan, how's it going? I'm doing good, Colton. How are you? Uh, Better than I deserve. (laughs) Well, you've just come back here from the York, which is kind of a famous muzzleloading match here, at least on the eastern side of the country. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So the Alvin York shoot, um, famously named after Sergeant Alvin York um, from Palm Mall, Tennessee, who was a World War One hero and uh, expert marksman and and was really, really quite a quite a shot down in the valley of the Three Forks of the Wolf River down in ten- uh, northern Tennessee and there was a match started and I believe it was 1993. You'll have to check me on that, but I'm pretty sure it was 93. I'll get my and, fact uh, checkers working on that. Yeah. <laughs> get the fact checkers on that one. But, uh, yeah, uh, started in the early nineties anyway, by a group of people, a couple of them that I knew uh, that I know, um, Billy Burt and Mel Hankla and Alan Kuhn were a couple of the founding members, but they decided they wanted to have a chunk shoot um, to kind of honor Sergeant York. And there's a old movie that I'm sure most of people that listen to this podcast have seen that kind of show a scene of actually them shooting an over the log match. It's, mm-hmm. it's a really neat scene and scene and they're shooting for a whole beef. And uh, I think the first best X, the best two X's got the front quarters. The next two got the hind quarters and, and, and they went on from there. But, uh, famously in the movie, Sergeant York wins, he pays for five shots and wins the whole beef. Oh, wow. He had the five best shots of everybody that day. And then he puts it up for sale cause he was needing money okay. uh, for yeah, the family yeah. farm. But that's from the movie. But yeah, the, the match itself is is really neat, you know, people from all over the country. I mean, as far, I know there's people that's competed as far east as, as Maine. Um, our friend David DeLong has shot there before. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, and I'm sure as far south as Florida and as far east as California. I mean, there's just people come from all over the country to shoot that match. And it's, uh, it's just a really neat event, you know, and... What do you think is the draw for it? Is it does it go back to the the movie or just the history of of Alvin himself? You think? Well, I don't know necessarily what the draw is. I think the draw was when it was founded. Definitely was from the movie and to pay homage to kind of an American hero. Mm-hmm. And uh, but now I think the draw is that it's just good old fashioned fun. Um, you know, in my opinion, I think that people you know, America is kind of shooting sports have always been kind of the national pastime. Some people would say it's baseball, but before then it was definitely shooting and target shooting for sure. And, uh, you know, I think it's just kind of a way to step back into, in time. There's some people that dress in kind of turn of the century clothing to kind of, uh, pay homage and respect to those 
like they would address maybe in the Sergeant York movie. And, you know, but, uh, you know, I, the, it's fierce competition. Let me tell you, is it? Um, yes. And, but the neat thing about the match is, uh, you know, it draws people of all, uh, all walks of life and all skill levels and equipment levels. I mean, there's guys that'll shoot with a Thompson center Hawken or, you know, um, all the way up to custom built under hammer purpose built chunk guns. I, I really like chunk shooting because it's just kind of a, a weird little sect of a weird little shooting sport that is muzzleloading. <laughs> and like yeah. the, the purpose built under hammers, I just love them because they've got the under hammer action, usually got a big butt stock on there. It's nice and comfortable. Yeah. And then there's hardly ever any four stock on them. And it's just a big solid barrel out there to maybe some of those camp bars out front, you know? Yep. But yep, uh, that's, <laughs> that's a, that's about the, that's about the gist of it. You know, it's kind of cool. It's, it's simple, but you know, there's just a draw to shooting prone position. And mm-hmm. for anybody that doesn't know what that is, it's less than prone position is basically just laying down and resting your rifle off of some kind of a support in the front. Um, you know, prone position has been a popular competition shooting position for, you know, well over 150 years. I mean, mm-hmm. think back to the, even the Creedmoor matches, they shot prone position or even back position, which is a little, it's, it's, it's kind of a whole different thing, but yeah. you know, just, it's just, there's something natural about just laying down and, you know, whether you would be in the deer woods and you're doing a spot and stock on a, on a buck and you get up over behind a, a deadfall and you throw the rifle up over it and, and take a shot, you know, there's just something instinctual about shooting prone. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of one of the neat draws to, to that style of shooting anyway. It's just, you know, it's just something about it instinctual. Yeah. I think it's a, a position that we don't think about a lot when it comes to shooting muzzle loaders. I think a lot of it is, you know, bench or offhand, but yep. getting prone, I mean, for me and the and the folks I've talked to, it's a way to kind of uh, get into kind of the modern, you know, prone shooting, long range shooting is really popular yeah. right now. Yes, and it's it a, is. It's a way to do that a little bit with your muzzleloader without getting into a souped up, you know, hot rod muzzleloader, sh- actually shooting long distance. Yeah. You know, you can still yes. shoot for kind of precision in that position. Um, yeah, we were, I was sitting there that morning. Uh, the match Saturday morning there and my dad went with me and he's sitting back at the loading table behind me and I was shooting practice at the time and I come back and I'm looking through the scope and I think I shot four practice shots I had three kind of stacked on each other and then one up uh, up into the left maybe about half inch or so and my dad goes man I just it amazes me what you can do with these with open sights yeah you know and it's like you know but <laughs> Like I said, there's something just natural about laying down and sighting up and watching your breath and making sure that you just do the same thing over and over and over again. And when you don't, you pay the price for it. And yeah. I, you know, that happened to me on Saturday, you know. So how'd you shoot? Not terrible. Um, I'm no by me. I'm by no means a, a great chunk shooter. I'm lucky enough to know a lot of them, but, uh, uh, I have good days and I have really bad days, but, uh, the York shoot this year was tough for everybody. We had 
20 mile an hour sustained winds all day and Jeez. picked up even more in the afternoon. And, uh, I think I had just around a, a 10 or 11 inch string, which in most cases would be awful, you know, but, uh, considering it only took, uh, I think it was just north of six inches one it this year, which is kind of, which is a, a, a big string compared to most years. Yeah. Um, I think I ended up, I think like 18th or 19th overall out of about 70 participated in the match. I think somewhere in just north of 70. And I think there were a hundred around 90 to a hundred registered. Okay. But, uh, well, you're in the top half then. That's nothing to shake a half, stick at. Top half. Yeah. And you know, the, the funny thing was, is, uh, they announced 10th place, I think. And, uh, it was just under 10 inch string. And I thought, man, I might be in the top 15 here, you know, <laughs> uh, which is surprising to me. I sure didn't expect to be that high up. And there were that next, that 10th to 20th, they were all stacked right on top mm-hmm. of each other. It was tight. Um, the rest of the way back there, but yeah, it's a, you know, it's a great shoot. Um, Mel Hankla, one of the founding members is still involved and helps orchestrate and, and keep it organized and and then robin warner also takes care of a lot of the duties on site there with the targets and getting people registered and range officers and score tabulation and all that you know it um i know what it takes to put together a shoot and it's it's not an easy task and they they do they do a really good job yeah yeah you host your own chunk match in the fall don't you yes i do at uh at uh the Fort Bologna Days uh, Festival mm-hmm. in Bologna, Indiana. They're um, about an hour, about an hour south of Indianapolis, an hour north of Louisville. There, not far off I-65. Uh, third Saturday every October, we have the West Hartley Memorial Shoot, which, if I'm not mistaken, is one of the oldest continuous matches in the country. Yeah, outside that, of the na- outside of the nationals, um, we're I think this year will be our fifty fifth year. That's fantastic. And we've we've had a shoot every year. We didn't we didn't cancel for COVID. We uh, the festival canceled, but I told the festival I'm having a match. Try to stop me. <laughs> and luckily, their hands were kind of tied with the county, but they were supportive of me and and uh, helped me whatever I needed and we still were able to have a match. And actually this last year we had the, I think the second highest number of shooters in our history. Um, we had, or at least what we have records of, we mm-hmm. have records back to the early nineties. And I think in 1993 or four, we had around 47 or eight shooters in this past year. I think we had 42 or three participate, which is something I'm really proud of. You yeah, know? for um, sure. You should be. I do that with uh, Don Neal, who's my mentor and my best friend, and he's helped me so much and more than I could ever repay to him. And uh, when I was probably 15 or 16 years old, he, you know, he kind of asked me to, at that point, I'd been shooting muzzleloaders for about three or four years. And he, he said, you know, why don't you help me organize this thing? That way I don't have to worry about it whenever I'm gone. Mm-hmm. And I said, all right. And, I've never looked back. And so we just keep building it up and making it bigger and better every year. And I want to make it as big as the York shoot if I can, you know, because yeah. it's just, it's great to see. Um, it's great to see that we have such a great group of people come every year and, you know, kind of, 
kind of celebrate American heritage. Yeah, it's, it's a just, it's a section of history and and shooting sports history. I think it's overlooked a lot because it was an era of cartridge and, and smokeless firearms, you know, for a, at least a few decades by that point. And yeah. uh, there were still folks contributing and, and continuing the muzzleloading tradition so that we could have it today. You know, it didn't stop yeah. it. You know, after the Hawken was built or after the Civil War, it, it kept going there in the in it the hills sure, down it, south. <laughs> it sure did. You know, the beef, the, what they call they called call them turkey shoots or beef shoots. You mm-hmm. know, they were still very popular in that Appalachia area, and you know, well into the 30s. Yeah, people still shooting muzzleloading matches with original rifles that were probably built by their fathers, grandfathers, great grandfathers. You know. Um, X center shooting has always been popular uh, since kind of muzzleloading competition probably started. X center shooting has kind of always been at the forefront of that. What's the York look like, you know, as you arrive on Saturday yeah. morning before the match? Are there typically, you know, how was turnout this year, I guess, along with that? Are there typically well, more or less or? Uh, we were down a little this year in participation, and I honest, and I hope I, and I think that a lot of that had to do with weather. Mm-hmm. The weather forecast coming into the match was not great, and I it's mean, been it uh, like, pretty rough the past couple of years <laughs> weather-wise. Yeah, well, we had we had COVID in 2020 that canceled the match. First time it had ever been canceled. There was one match that had been shortened due to rain, I think, one year, but they'd had a match every year, and COVID got it in 2020, and then last year. It came a gully washer. I mean, it just right before we were getting ready. I think we had actually already had the safety meeting and guys are getting ready to fire up for practice. And it, the heavens just opened up and down poured rain like I've never seen. The and pictures were southern, incredible. <laughs> I'm from southern Indiana. I know what rain's like. Uh, <laughs> and I've never seen anything like this. I mean, it rained probably three inches in probably two and a half, three hours. I mean, an inch, an hour. And, you know, we, the, the organizers tried their best. We thought there might be a law, but there was literally just a patch of rain over central Tennessee, nowhere else in the country. And there was nothing they could do. And we, we drew for the meat prizes and went home. <laughs> and that was a bummer. Cause I think everybody post COVID, you know, oh, yeah. post lock post lockdown anyway, was really hoping to, get back out there and start shooting and and it it was just kind of a bummer you know yeah and i was had high hopes for this year and i think with what last year brought uh i think it kind of made some folks leery to get all the way there and then have another shoot canceled because it the weather was not favorable but uh it looked like chances of rain definitely going to be windier than heck and you know uh temperatures in the mid 40s and when you had 20 mile an hour wind of that that's never fun yeah but we got lucky, really. No rain. Um, it was windy, but the temperatures were. Uh, it was cold early in the morning, but it always is. It's early, you know. It's it's mid March. It always is cold yeah. in the morning, and so. But it warmed up nicely. It it got up to about mid fifties and sunny all day. And other than the wind, the weather was great. So I'm hoping next year. Like I said, normal participation is somewhere in the range of about 140 to 160 registered shooters. That's mm-hmm. what I've kind of seen the last several. I've been going every year, but one since 2012. So that's always where our participation numbers are for that match. And 
So I'm hoping next year it'll get back up. But you asked about what you what the scene is like. You come down, I think it's 127, and you come in and you actually will see the entrance to York State Park on the right. And then there's the old York Country Store, which is still open and serves great food. And you go right past it and you go around a little bend and there's a road that cuts to the left and you go down into the valley there. And uh, there's the range. It's a big open grass field that's part of the state park. And um, good, nice, flat. I mean, you couldn't think for a better chunk gun range, honestly. (laughs) It's good and flat. And it's just just a good setup. Um, And, you know, there's usually a lot of campers, tent campers, pool-type campers, a lot of people hanging around cooking out a lot of guys sleep in the back of their trucks on the range the night before. Um, I got a motel room. I'm a wussy, I guess, (laughs) but, uh, I wanted to watch Purdue play basketball, which turned out to be a big mistake. Uh... (laughs) And so we got a hotel room and was just down the road. And so, but yeah, it's just a really neat site. You know, people got, bonfires going and hanging out and seeing people you don't maybe only see at the york or a couple times a year maybe if they go to the national too at friendship and it's just a really neat scene and like i said you know they're just they're just it's you know it's a lot like the daytona 500 you (laughs) you start you start your year out with a bang your shooting season with a bang at the york and uh it's just something that i look forward to every year Every year I look forward to getting there. And this year was tough. I didn't have any, you know, last year, uh, my school schedule allowed me to be home a little more and I practiced and practiced and practiced. I mean, for a solid month, twice a week, we were out, me and Don Neal were out shooting and getting ready and then get down there and it canceled. And this year didn't get to fire a single shot of practice. (laughs) You're going in cold going in cold and actually thursday afternoon i'm getting all my equipment ready and i realized that last year loading the truck i had broke the pinhead sight on my front side i broke Uh. the pinhead plumb off trying to get stuff loaded and so thursday i'm sitting there and i'm like oh my goodness here we go so got that fixed got the jb weld putty out and the pinheads and found one that worked thankfully and got it fixed up and luckily it had plenty of time to set up while I was packing all the rest of the stuff. But, but yeah, I thought, Oh, this, if this is how the weekend's going to start, we're in for a doozy. But, <laughs> uh, all in all, it turned out really good. And my dad got to go with me. That's the first time he'd been with me since he went with me my very first time in 2012. Um, he went with me that first year and then he hadn't been able to go with me since, but schedules worked out and he said, I want to go with you. And I said, the more the merrier and it was just a fun weekend and you know and i'm just fortunate i got connected with the right people in the chunk gun world yeah. you know people like neil eddington and mark donaldson and tom swagger and dave crumey and randy gunkelmeyer and uh, mike majeski i mean just guys that are absolute chunk gun ringers you know they're just die they're just, they're just dang good at what they do you know yeah 
This podcast is brought to you by Thor Bullets. Thor Bullets are a premium full-bore muzzleloader bullet designed specifically for modern inline rifles. Thor Bullets do not require plastic sabos or belts to be fired, meaning less cleaning for you between shots. The patented copper base creates an airtight seal, giving you greater distance and accuracy. Thor's unique engineering allows the bullets to retain 95% of their weight upon impact, and the controlled expansion ensures large, easy-to-follow blood trails. Thor bullets are currently available in a 50 caliber version that is sized to your specific bore. Thor is also expanding into a new 45 caliber bullet designed for faster 1-in-24 and 1-in-22 twist inline rifles. For more information on these great bullets, visit www.thorbullets.com. We'd like to thank Thor Bullets for their sponsorship of this podcast. What would you recommend? I mean, we've, we've talked a little bit about the the special aspects of it, but if somebody's listening and is interested in getting started or maybe wants to try chunk shooting, you know, do you have any advice for them or any resources to, to point them towards to kind of learn more? Yes. Uh, you know, and that's something I wish I had when I was starting out was resources because anything, you know, it's not like this is some prominent, prominent, uh, style of shooting. Like you said, it's a, it's a niche within, within a niche, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, uh, resources are limited, but what I would say to somebody wanting to get started out, um, you know, the York shoot has a, it has a website that gives you kind of information on their, their shoot. Um, uh, the Wes Hartley shoot that I run has a website and Ethan, you've done a great video for our match that kind of go a, a couple of them that kind of goes through, you know, how it's done and what's involved and all that. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's a, it's an equipment game. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, I mean, if you want to compete at the top levels of it, it's an equipment game. And, and, you know, most of the time, guys are running an under hammer uh usually or a you know there's side locks out there don't get me wrong but usually it's an under hammer why a, why is it that under hammer i think I, I think for a lot of guys it is getting the hammer movement out of the sight picture okay um one it's deadly fast I mean, think about it. Fire is going straight into the muzzle. It doesn't have to make a 90-degree bend like a like a traditional side lock or anything like that. So you've got really reliable, consistent, fast ignition with an underhammer. And you've moved that all of that energy and movement and distraction out of the sight picture of the shooter. Um, you know, and I think that that maybe more than anything is why a lot of guys like the under hammer actions. Um, you yeah, know, I hadn't thought about the sight picture. I'd, I'd always heard the direct ignition, but the sight picture makes yeah. a lot of sense for when you're shooting those kind well, of targets and matches, you know, something that you're very familiar with, you know, w with your dad and your grandpa's pistols, some mm -hmm. of those had were built, I think with backwards locks. Yep. And the, the same principle applies. They were just basically shielding all the movement with the frizzing. Yeah. You know, and that's kind of the thought there is rather than you just seeing the frizzing flip at that point, but you're not seeing all that movement in the hammer. So similar principle, but I think that probably is the m most uh, important reason why. And again, like I said, the consistent ignition 
but uh you know and it's just very uh, another thing it's just handy about it is it's very practical uh it the barrel holds into the action in three set screws i mean you pull the action completely off the gun pull the nipple out and you can put it in a jug of water and slosh it and clean it good and you know it just it's very you know take i mean think about it this way most of the guys that i know we're all running about 48 inch barrels <laughs> you know yeah that gets hard to put in a truck it does <laughs> i gotta fold you know, all the got, seats down in my car just to get mine yeah in there. if you got a if you've got a short bed chevy you might be toast you know if you've got a gun you've got to keep all together but if you have an underhammer you know you pull your set screws and they can fit down in a pretty nice gun case and and off you go that's hmm. you know that's that's a nice handy handy piece to the piece to the puzzle too but you know uh i would say standard equipment most guys are probably running 50 calibers and um, there's 54s there's 45s and there's uh you know others on extreme ends of that too i'm sure there's guys there were guys at the york shooting squirrel rifles and some of them may have had 58 60 calibers but i would say most mainstream competitors are running a 50 cal uh 48 inch long barrel twist is you know whatever you want to argue for right um you know there's a lot of theories and everything about twist rate i'm no expert barrel maker that'll that's probably more of a question for my friend neil eddington but you know a lot of guys running like a one in 66 or a one in 72 twist probably in a 50 caliber um and then the sights, that's the one thing I really want to talk about uh, for somebody wanting to start out is a lot of it is in your sights because you're only going to, you know, even if you got the equipment, you got to be able to execute the same sight picture over and over and over again. And so the sights, most guys are running are what we call a pinhead. I talked about it earlier a little bit, a pinhead sight. So what that is um the front that's referencing the front sight but it's a like a stick pin sewing stick pin you know it's got the little ball on the end of it mm -hmm. um uh you can buy them at most craft stores or walmart or wherever but um you you shoot a target and i'll uh i'll send you some pictures of some targets that you can kind of throw on throw on to the yeah that'd maybe be great. The, thumb, the thumbnail or so so that way at least people understand what we're talking about here but you got about an eight inch to nine inch black circle and then with in the middle of that you've got a white circle which is much smaller usually around the three inch mark so imagine kind of looks like a donut if you're if you're visualizing that mm -hmm. and what you do is you take that stick pin that you've put in your front sight and you want to put it in the middle of that white circle such that you basically create what we call a halo around your stick pin. Okay. So when you center that in your white circle, and that white circle is reflecting back at your eye, you've created a halo effect around that front pin head. Mm -hmm. And then most guys run a U-notch, just kind of a classic U-notch rear sight, not very deep, and then you just kind of nestle that halo down in your u-notch okay um some guy there's there's a lot of methods there on how to run the rear sight some guys try to split the pinhead half and half 
half in, half out. Some guys bury the pinhead all the way. I I usually put the pinhead as uh all the way down in the notch to where the top of the pinhead is about level mm-hmm. with the rear side. I've never had much luck with the half in, half out, but there's a lot of guys that run it that way. Hmm. Um, As so with that, everything, there's always, everybody has their own formula. Yes. And, you know, Paul Griffith, um, I don't know if he, uh, I, I tell you, I think where I know he got his influence from, and I, I never, I only got the meeting uh, one time, and he made me a set of pinhead sights, believe it or not. We talked at Alan Coons one day, one day, and then he did, he passed, I think, the next year, and we never crossed paths again. But I think where I know Paul got his inspiration for this sight, and I've never been able to confirm this with anybody that uh, knew him, but in Ned Roberts' book, uh, The Muzzle-Owning Cap-Lock Rifle, uh-huh. There, I don't know the page number offhand. I've got it marked at home, but uh, there is a description of a target site, a front site, and they actually used for the pinhead part of it, they used a pig pig bristle, and they would heat it, uh, run it next to a hot iron that would ball up up. the end. Yeah, but that, that almost is described in dimension and everything almost identical to what paul created Hmm. Uh, the size the length all of it and i have a feeling that maybe that he was reading that book one day and got that inspiration and made that site but he kind of started the pinhead craze and everybody kind of run with it and now i would say 90 plus percent of all the top competitors are running a pinhead site. I don't know of anybody that's using something different. If it works, it works. It does work. Um, you know, it's kind of, if you're for anybody that does interest shooting or any type of shooting where you've got peep sites involved, it's kind of a reverse peep setup. Yeah. That's a, you know, it sounded like to me, you're kind of talking about it. It kind of reminded me right. of, to a, a peep that you use in a bench gun. It, it, it's very it's basically the inverse of it so where in a set of peep sights you've got a black circle out at the target mm-hmm. and then your halo and your ring which is white around that black circle on the target in a chunk match with a pinhead sight you've got a black sight that you're then haloing around a white target so it's kind of the reverse of a of a peep sight setup Hmm. but very consistent and if you shoot it well um you know it it's you know because with a traditional kind of blade and and square notch setup like most rifles have you know it gets really hard to get consistent as far as windage windage yeah will kind of naturally take care of itself most of the time it can still be an issue, but elevation is where you really run into trouble. Yeah. If you just, it's just really hard to judge, you know, if you're running a, a, a square notch and a blade sight set up and you've got a square out at the target, it's hard to judge that, you know, most guys I, that do shoot that still are shooting a six o'clock hold and it gets hard to judge that distance between the top of the blade and the bottom of the target. Yeah. And, but, you know, with the pinhead set up, your eye's naturally going to try to center it around that white dot, and your eye's also going to naturally try to center it up in the rear. 
you know yeah that eye, just helps you <laughs> your eye does a lot of things if you don't if you're not trying to force it and you let your eye do the work it'll do a lot of the work for you and then you just it's a just basically checking down just like you would if you're a bench rest shooter or any other type of shooter honestly it's just making sure everything that you're you just confirming everything that you're seeing yeah so um like i said i'm no i'm definitely not an expert but um it definitely it definitely works because i started out the old traditional blade and square notch method and i figured out really quickly that wasn't going to work <laughs> not, not if i wanted to win and i've always been the type no matter what i do and i've done a lot of different things i want to win yeah well, and, i think it uh it serves as a good primer you know to show folks that if nothing else just to try shooting their muzzle or prone sometime yeah yeah and i think you know like i said earlier it's kind of instinctual and it's kind of it's just fun mm-hmm you know, and you don't have to have, we, we talked earlier, you said you kind of described what you think the ultimate chunk rifle was, which I think spot on, you know, a big under hammer action and a chunky butt stock that's comfortable and a big long barrel and a camp bar and no four stock, which is describes most of them out there yeah. that are running that setup. And, you know, just like a camp bar, you know, uh, you don't have to, if you're wanting to shoot prone at home, you don't have to have a camp bar. No. I mean, I think, <laughs> oddly enough, I think that might be the barrier to entry for almost most people starting out chunk shooting. They're like, well, how in the world do I figure that out? <laughs> you know, yeah. especially if you're trying, that on there. Yeah, exactly. Especially if you've got a rifle, you know, a hunting rifle that you're wanting to try to shoot in a chunk match, you know, you're like, well, I've got four stock and, and ramrod groove molding and all that how in the world am i going to get something clamped on the end of that well there's some guys that just run a sandbag you know and it might not be quite as stable as a camp bar but you just have that support out there yeah if you're wanting to get started just get a block of wood set it out there and throw a sandbag on it and just start shooting just just get comfortable with the position and and then worry about the camp bar later and, and they're like rifles, you know, they come in all shapes, sizes, designs, everything, you know, and everybody's probably tried everything there is to try. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think uh, funny enough, I really think that that might be a barrier to entry for a lot of guys starting out. Cause you know, it isn't like it's something you can go to the hardware store and just buy. <laughs> yeah. It's a specialty me, thing. I've tried it, been there, done that, you know, um, you know, cause, uh, other equipment kind of involved with it, shader tubes, uh, or shaders, mm-hmm. you know, which is basically just a piece of tubing that you slide on the barrel over the sights, just to keep your, the sun off your sights. And, uh, you know, that's easily enough handled. Most of the time you can either go to the Menards or Home Depot or wherever and get some PVC tubing and cut a slit in it. And one that's tight enough, it'll just pop over the site and, hold it there and then some guys tape them with electrical tape other guys velcro strap them you know um, a lot of different methods for that but yeah i mean you know that's one that's one of the few things you can go to the hardware store and just pick up yeah yes and it takes a little modification but it's not like a camp bar or sites or anything else you know Hmm. but but yeah there there are resources about the bevel brothers uh, Lowell and oh, Joe yeah. Guard have both written. They they've written several articles in Muzzle Blast 
about chunk shooting. Um, you know, um, they've done a lot of different things, tests and research and all kinds of stuff regarding chunk shooting. So there's some good articles there. Like I said, you've made a couple great videos for me for my match that I think if for nothing else, it would be good for somebody that's wanting to get interested in it just to watch them. Mm -hmm. And just so they kind of understand it's hard to explain. I mean, I've got guys that call me wanting to come to my match and have never been. And they're like, well, how does that work? Yeah. It's sometimes it's easier to see it than it is to listen to somebody explain yeah, it. Yeah. Because you start talking about spotter targets and people just, yeah, you, know, you might as well be speaking Japanese at that point <laughs> because people don't understand what you're talking about. If you see it in practice, it'll click and it's not complicated at all. And what I'm talking about by a spotter target is when you're shooting chunk, you shoot for group. So you're trying to get the tightest group you can possibly get. If you could stack one bullet right on top of another, you'd be the greatest of all time. Right. And so that's your goal. And usually when you go to match, they have about a 30 minute practice period before the match starts where you get chances to establish your group. So guys shoot three to five, you know, as many shots as they want to want or can shoot in 30 minutes to get a group established. And then, when you register, you get a pack, uh, usually 10 X center targets. So they got a big X through them. And then you use those as your score targets. So you've actually placed that score target in behind your spotter and you center that X in, in your group. Cause you think, you know, if you're good, you will shoot in that same spot every time. Right. Yeah. Cause you're, cause the way the, the, targets are scored as they're measured with a dial caliper to the thousandth of an inch. So to put that in perspective, I think the best X of the day at the York shoot this year was around 40 thousandths hmm. of an inch. So, <laughs> you know, uh, that's, that's right. That's one stacked right on top of it. Yeah. That's, that's tight. I mean, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a it's a tough game you know i think the best x i ever shot um i shot it at friendship in the alan coon match and i think i shot a, like a 19 thousandths i mean it was it was it was center punched uh -huh. it was it was a good one and you know you, that's what you want if you can get that every time then you'll be doing just fine and then how you determine your score is they take all of those targets all your score targets and they measure them. They add up all your measurements and then they get a total. And that's what your measure, that's your score. That's what they call a string measure. And so, you know, most of the times to win most chunk matches, you're going to need a four to five inch string somewhere in that neighborhood. Okay. Some days, some days it's less, some days it's more, but most of the time around a four inch, you know, you don't want to get too far north of four, you know, four, four and a half is usually where it takes to win. I've seen several in the threes. There's been, I think, only two or three ever shot into the two inch range. Um, one of them at the York, I think the actual what's proclaimed the world record chunk score was actually shot by the winner of the York shoot the, this year, Gary Test, um, who won this year's York shoot. Um, he had the best string ever recorded, um, in the modern era anyway. Mm -hmm. And I think it was 2.48 inches. Jeez. 
Yeah, and that the neat story behind that, I got to tell it, or I wouldn't be doing. Oh, please it. do. I'd, I'd be doing us a disservice. Uh, Paul Griffith, who I mentioned earlier, um, who did a lot for a lot of people, um, and in the chunk gun world, um, he passed away in two thousand and fourteen, I believe, um, and uh, the very next year might have been 2013 i'm trying to think i'm trying i want to get my dates right but the very next what i do know is the very next year after his passing uh he he left all of his chunk gun shooting equipment to gary test Hmm. and gary is a heck of a guy great shooter nice as can be always the same when you see him he's always in a good mood very nice um and so that year First time Gary shooting Paul's equipment in the York shoot, he shot the world record score wow. <laughs> in it. And to see his group, I mean, he his practice and his 10 shots, he could have covered them with a quarter. Yeah, it was meant to I be. Mean, it was, it was, it gave everybody there goosebumps and there were several tears shed. And it was yeah. just, it was definitely, I think, a divine a divine intervention on that because Hmm. i mean stuff you can't even make up if you tried yeah um it was really neat so and it was cool to be there to witness that because like i said i I as even though i only got to meet the man one time i know what he means to a lot of people Mm -hmm. and people that i'm really close with and and uh, we we definitely miss paul and we have there's a really nice a stone bench at the behind the chunk line at friendship in his honor mm-hmm. that all the chunk shooters we took up donations and put in a stone bench to honor him because he was just he was a legend yeah he was a legend and i'm very thankful i at least got to meet him the one time but i feel like i know him <laughs> i feel like i know him because i listen i get to listen to all the stories yeah yeah be shared and told so and that's half the fun yeah, it's really neat, you know. I've just been very blessed to have been connected with the right people along the way on this journey. Yeah. And that's why any chance I have to help somebody, I take it, because there were a lot of people that helped me that sure didn't have to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and now I, they're looking back wishing they hadn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I definitely could probably name a handful of that. <laughs> Sincerely, I definitely don't take it for granted, and I don't. And I don't forget it. And, you know, I had a young man last year at Friendship needed a, he was shooting in a youth match and needed a shooting bench. And I said, there's one right there in front of you. Cause they, he was trying to, he was going to use the bench that was supplied and it was rough. It was rough. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I said, he, he, and I, from what I'd understood from talking with his grandpa and his dad that was with him, he, he had a pretty good sh- score aggregate going. And I said, ah, you don't want to use that. Use mine. Mm-hmm. And I, I was done for the day anyway. And I said, just just leave everything when you go and I'll come pick it up later. And, yeah. And I actually got back in time. He had just finished and he was finishing up, but he left me a really nice note. And that just reminded me what it's about. Yeah. You know, that we're we are all in this together. And if this sport dies shame on us because it was it was our doings yeah because i know you're a big promoter of it and so am i 
help anybody and everybody you can. Absolutely. Uh, this is, this is too good of a, a thing we have going to see it, see it shrivel up and go away because I've, some of the greatest friends in my life, I've been introduced through muzzleloading. Mm-hmm. And if I can help that, help instill that or spread that to somebody else, I'll gladly do it because, you know, we just need to help people. I mean, it's not hard and it's not difficult and it's not too much of an inconvenience just to, you know, let somebody shoot our gun or help them reload or give them a piece of advice or whatever it might be. It's just too easy to not do it. I'd like to thank Colton again for coming onto the show to chat with me about chunk shooting and the muzzleloading community in general. It's always nice to catch up with an old friend in the muzzleloading community like Colton is to me. And I hope you learned a little bit about uh, something new that you can try with your muzzleloader out there. You know, if you're getting tired of punching paper or shooting the same woods walk, you know, try some different positional shooting like uh, like they do here with the chunk shooting and, and see what that changes up for you. I know I enjoy it. And uh, I hope you do as well. As always, I'm Ethan. I love muzzleloading. Thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. In business, you rarely hear the expression for life. You make a purchase for a product, for a service, and, and there's, a, there's a time frame there. Well, that's not the case with Awaken 180 weight loss. Allow me to explain. You know, a year ago, I started with Awaken 180 weight loss and had incredible success losing weight. But you can lose all the weight in the world and not keep it off. And what good is it? That's why I have support for life from Awaken 180. Yeah. I mean, I go back for check-ins and make sure everything's going smoothly. But if I ever had a problem, the counselors are there to get me back on track. Why don't you do what I did and call for a consultation? 844-346-1800. 844-346-1800. Or go to awaken180weightloss.com.